Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his teaching, Identity and Authority. All right, praise the Lord. I'm starting a series this morning called Identity and Authority. And when I say that, I mean your identity in Christ and how it's directly related to your authority as a believer. You know, I dare say half the body of Christ, probably more, have no idea who they are in Christ, nor do they know the authority that's been given to them in Christ. One of the prophetic voices that I listened to said something a couple of years ago that got my attention, and it really rang true in my spirit, and it stuck with me over the last two years. She said, true spiritual authority flows from established identity. True spiritual authority flows from established identity. And I said to myself, that's awesome. I couldn't agree more. In other words, you will never walk in the level of authority that God intended unless you understand who you are in Christ until you establish your identity in Him. Amen. If you think about it, your identity is everything. Your identity determines how you see yourself. To a large extent, how others see you. How you approach life in every respect. Every important decision you make your entire life will be affected by your identity. The way you see yourself will determine things like what challenges and endeavors you decide to tackle, what career you choose, what friends you choose, what mate you choose. How you see God, what church you attend, what gifts and abilities you choose to develop, your dreams the dreams you embrace, which ones seem impossible and which ones seem possible. Amen. You will either see yourself as a victor in life or you will see yourself as a victim in life or you will see yourself somewhere in between. Amen. Let me skip ahead here. If you're in Christ, you're already in victory. Just stay there. Amen. That's why it's so important to know your identity in Christ, who you are in Him, because bottom line, that's the way God sees you. That's the way God created you to be. Amen. So with all that in mind, I'm going to break this teaching into three parts. Who you are in Christ, where you are in Christ, and your authority as a believer. Now, in order to establish your identity in Christ, you, you have to look at the three-part nature of man. It's fundamental, and I talk about it a lot, but that's because it's not really understood as well as you might think in the collective body of Christ. Most people, for example, are still teaching that the spirit and the soul are the same thing. If you believe that, you're going to be confused when you read through the epistles. It's going to be hard for you to understand what it means to be born again. It's going to be hard for you to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. So let me begin by saying that everyone in this room was made in the triune image of God, yet you are one whole being. Triune is a fancy word, which means you have a three-part nature just like your heavenly Father. 
who has a three-part nature. And I have found this concept of spirit, soul, and body. I found it in the Word, and I've had my eyes open to it in the Spirit. Let me begin by sharing an encounter I had in Minden, Louisiana, one winter evening in 1988. Long time ago. I had started grad school for the first time and was going for my master's in mechanical engineering in December of 88. And I was up one night late studying in my study, boning up on my math, which I hadn't looked at in 10 years. So as I studied, I remember feeling like a blanket or something heavy coming down on my head and shoulders. It was like a sleep blanket. It was like this blanket said, lay down and go to sleep. So I just, I just submitted to it, and I just sort of put my head on my hands, and within a few seconds, I was immobilized but still aware of everything that was going on around me. You know, I believe I was in a trance. Now, before you jump on me for using that word, it's used five times in the Bible. It just means that you're in a state where uh, you can't really move, but you're aware of everything that's around you, and you're especially attentive to the words of the Lord as they come to you. So I'm, I'm laying there with my head on my hands on my roll-top desk, which I still have, which I use to prepare this message that I'm giving to you this morning. Every time I see that desk, I think about that incident. So, like I said, I'm just laying there on my desk, wondering what's going to happen next. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice speaking to me. This voice kept repeating the same words and phrases over and over as if he were trying to get my attention. Now, this voice was audible. And it sounded oddly familiar. And as I listened and paid close attention, I was shocked to realize that it was my own voice speaking to me, yet I knew that my lips were not moving. I realized now that it was the voice of my human spirit, and this is what he was saying to me. Listen, this is going to give you a revelation of what is inside you as a born-again believer as someone that's a new creation in Christ. There's someone inside you that's like this. I had no idea this person was in me, but this is what I said in my spirit voice. I said, we must band together if we are to put the flesh under and accomplish the assignments that the Lord has given unto us. I was like, that's good. We cannot allow the desires of the flesh to dominate us and hinder us from fulfilling our calling in Him. We must hold fast to God's Word and follow the leading of His Spirit if we are to do the things that God has called us to do. You know, I, I got an amazing guy living on the inside of me. I need to tap into him more often. Now, at the time of this experience, I had studied spirit, soul, and body, but a lot of it wasn't settled in my mind and in my heart. But now suddenly through this amazing encounter, this concept that I was a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body, was coming to life. So when I came out of the spirit, I stood right up from my desk and I said, okay, Lord, I got to know what in the world was that all about? What exactly just happened to me? And why was I using the pronoun we, first person plural? I had to look it up later. Was that the voice of my human spirit, Lord, 
speaking to the rest of my three-part being? The answer was yes. So over a period of weeks and months, the Lord gradually helped me unpack what had happened to me. And the first scripture he started with was Genesis 1.26. You thought I was just going to tell you an experience and not back it up with scripture, not Brother Scott. The Lord won't let me do it. And my, my wolf, my wolf, my wife won't let me do it. Anytime I tell her about something supernatural that happened to me, she said, show it to me in the word. Keeps me on the solid rock of the word of God. So Genesis 1.26 says this, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Here we see God addressing himself in the very same way that I had addressed myself, first person plural, in that unusual encounter that I had had. And he said, let us make man in our image. Amen. So clearly, God was having a discussion within himself and between more than one part of himself about creating man in their image and their likeness. In similar manner, my spirit was talking to my soul and making a plea for him to unite with my spirit in order to overcome the desires of my flesh or my body so that we, spirit, soul, and body, could fulfill the desires of God concerning our life and ministry. So I learned two things about myself through this incredible encounter. I am a three-part being, very similar to God himself. Number two, my spirit man is amazing. (laughs) He's righteous and holy just like God, and he's got a zeal that is amazing. And I need to do everything I can to cooperate with him in my soul and in my body so I serve God's spirit, soul, and body all the days of my life. All right, let's take a look at Genesis 1.26 one more time before we press on. Let me read it again. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. So not only was it determined that man would be created in the image and likeness of God, but he would be created to have dominion just like God. That's talking about authority. So in a nice scriptural nutshell, Genesis 1.26 takes us from identity to authority, which is what we're studying in this series. Amen? So it makes a great text for the whole series. So we call this concept of a holy God who is one God and yet exists in three separate personalities or expressions of himself, the Godhead or the Trinity. Now, there are other places in Scripture which confirm this truth, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm going to give you a few of them. 1 John 5, 7. Everything's going to be New King James unless I say otherwise. And if I forget, just read the screen. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. 
So God is Father, He is Word, He is Holy Spirit, and yet He is one. Romans 1.20, this is a mind-blower. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, talking about God, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Amen. So according to this Scripture, it would be accurate to say that the creation, and I believe even the structure of the universe itself, is a reflection of the nature of the Creator God. Amen? Including the fact that He is a God of three parts, yet He is one. So I asked the Lord when I first got this revelation, if I can look to the heavens and I can see God, and I can also see the Godhead or the Trinity, show me what you're talking about. And He led me to the North Star. Let me set this up. Psalm 48, verse 2, which I don't have on the screen there. Psalm 48, 2 says about the heavenly city and the earthly city of Zion, Jerusalem and New Jerusalem. It says, is Mount Zion on the sides of the north the city of the great king? The sides of the north means the highest parts of the north. If you go to Israel, Trish and I were in Jerusalem in the 80s, you'll see that the city of Jerusalem sits on a hill which is called Zion, and it is the highest northern parts of the Judean mountains around the city of Jerusalem. So it literally sits on the highest parts of the north. I believe the heavenly Jerusalem sits on the highest parts of the north in space somewhere. And I believe it's due north. In other words, if you were to have a rocket ship with enough fuel and billions of years that you could live, you could perhaps launch off the North Pole and great, go straight north until you hit heaven. Amen? But on your journey, about 430 light years on that line, you would come to Polaris. Polaris is what astronomers call the North Star. And come to find out, from a distance, the North Star is just a blinking little faint light in the northern sky. It's not this big blazing thing that people think. It's just a blinking little barely visible North Star. But technology today has allowed us to get close enough to see that it's not just one star, it is three stars. One star with two other stars that orbit around it. From a distance, it looks like they are one. But if you look a little closer, they're actually three in one. So the Lord said, that's your first sign that I put in the heavens, that the Godhead is valid, that the Trinity exists, Father, Word, and Holy Spirit. He showed me some other things that are beyond the scope of today's message. Amen. But it's really cool stuff. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Isn't God good? Isn't His Word good? All right, so when the Word in this Trinity, God the Father, God the Word, and God the Spirit, when the Word took on flesh and became a man, the nature of the Godhead changed fundamentally. 
Let's read about that in John 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. That says to me that this person called the Word was God's agent of creation, and He created everything in the universe that we know. It says nothing that was made, was not made by Him. He made it all. Amen. So this person, you got to understand, this person called the Word, he existed eternally with God throughout the ages. And he will exist eternally going forward in time. But at one point in time, he chose to take on flesh and become a man in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. Let's skip down to verse 14 and we'll read about that. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice that after God became a man in the form of Jesus, that a new expression for the Trinity or the Godhead became acceptable. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said to his followers, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What happened to the Godhead? It changed a little bit. Before the incarnation, before Jesus became a man, the Godhead or Trinity was God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Spirit. After Jesus became a man, the Godhead or Trinity was defined as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But do not fret or have any anxiety about anything because you can still say God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Spirit because Jesus Christ has always been and always will be the living Word. So if you get mixed up there, it's okay. Hallelujah. So with all this in mind, let me repeat what I've already said once before. Everyone in this room was made by God into a three-part being very similar to God Himself. Amen. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet He is one whole being. We are spirit, soul, and body, and yet we are one whole being. My wife and I took separate cars this morning. When she came in the door, I didn't say, here comes my wife, Trish, but her spirit's still out in the parking lot. No, because they're all together right now. Spirit, soul, and body. Amen? Hallelujah. You know, you know you're made of three parts because you can leave a part behind. You ever think about that? When you leave this earth, you leave one part of your three-part being behind. So that should be proof enough right there that you're at least a two-part being. You do a little study and find out, yeah, but you're also a three-part being. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, if you're looking for some word to validate what I just said, stay with me. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. 
1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is Paul speaking. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify, it means set apart. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now every one of those words, spirit, soul, and body, is a completely different Greek word describing three different parts. Real briefly, the spirit of man is that part that is God-breathed, that came from him directly. The soul is the mind, will, and the emotions that developed after you became a living human being. And the body is the earth suit that your spirit and soul live in. Amen? Here's another scripture that backs this up, Hebrews 4.12. It's quite fascinating. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Amen. So we see the soul and the spirit. Same Greek words used there are used in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. But then you say, where did the body go? Well, joints and marrow are in the body. So the body's in there too. Amen. So what does it mean to be born again? With all of this in mind, why did I lay all this groundwork? Well, let's just take a little journey. When man disobeyed God and fell in the garden, it affected every part of his being, starting with his spirit. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Everybody's heard this preached, but I'm going to say it again. This is actually in the Hebrew, this last phrase, you shall surely die, is a double negative. It actually says, in dying, you shall die. And that's God's way of saying, first you will die spiritually, and then eventually you will die naturally. So when Adam sinned, his spirit was separated from God and died. His soul was polluted by sin, and his body began to age and decay. He fell from grace completely, spirit, soul, and body. But when God sent Jesus to redeem mankind, his intention was to reverse this process completely, beginning with the spirit of man, the core of his being, that part of man that came directly from him. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 3 through 10 little background here. Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a well-respected Pharisee, evidently, and he was a closet follower of Jesus. He came to Jesus at night wanting to have a theological discussion. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now there is a mental picture none of us want, right? Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now some people have used this verse 
to say that you have to be water baptized. It's essential for your salvation. But it's not, it's not in the text if you read it in context, okay? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, most babies are carried in water for the entire duration of their, of their gestation, their pregnancy. And when the water goes, the baby goes. That's the way it normally goes. Amen? So you literally are born of water in your natural birth. Okay? Then, of course, Jesus is talking about being born of the Spirit. And he, and he makes sure that there's no misunderstanding here in verse 6. He said, let me tell you what I really mean. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? So clearly he's talking about natural birth and then supernatural spiritual birth, rebirth. Amen. Then he goes, and he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. You know, you cannot see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can see the ripples on the water. You can see the trees bowed under the wind. You can see all kind of things that react to the wind. Smoke stacks, smoke coming out of smoke stacks. You can see that the smoke will bend in the direction of the flow of the wind. Amen? That's a picture of what the born-again experience is all about. Someone can become born again, and the next day, they're not going to change in outward appearance. Everything's changed on the inside, though, and that's not visible to everybody on the outside. That's what he's saying. So it is with the birth of the Spirit. It's something that happens on the inside. There's a change of heart on the inside. And you may not see it at once, but eventually if somebody's been born again, saved, they've really made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, it will begin to affect the behavior of that person. And you will see that behavior and you'll realize, hey, something happened to them. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. So Jesus, last part of verse 8 says, So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? He's still not getting it. And then verse 10 says, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Evidently, he was one of the top teachers of the day, and he did not know this. He did not know, for example, that Jeremiah 17.1 says something very poignant, very powerful. Jeremiah 17.1, the prophets, which he presumably studied as a, as a Pharisee, it says, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with the point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. Now, let me break this down to you. This is a picture of of the stone-heartedness of the people of God in Jeremiah's day. Now, you've got a pen of iron with a tip that is a diamond. And you may not realize this, but diamond is the hardest substance in the entire universe. So you get a picture here of God saying, I've got a pen of iron with a diamond tip, and I still can't get through your stony heart. So God knew that a change of heart was going to be required. There was no remedy for the stony hearts of the, of the people of God or of any of the people of the world. 
something had to be done with the heart. So Ezekiel, about 500 years before Christ, he prophesied about the born-again experience. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What he was trying to get across to Nicodemus is there's no amount of religion or do's and don'ts, adherences to laws and and, and ordinances. There's no amount of that that's going to get you where you need to go. A change of heart is required. That's why you must be born again. That's the whole gist of that conversation in that chapter there, beginning of chapter 3. Amen. I think this is cool stuff. And then he goes on to say here in verse 27, Ezekiel, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Why? Because now you have a nature that wants to do those things. Amen. That's why I say the man that I heard that night in the spirit was amazing. He wanted nothing more than to fulfill the plan of God for his life. He had a zeal for God. And he lives in me and he lives in you if you're born again. There's a person like that in there. Listen, he always wants to read the word. He always wants to pray. He always wants to walk in love. He always wants to worship God. He always wants to fast and pray. He always wants to do what's right. He always wants to tell what Jesus has done for him. He always wants to share with other people about Jesus. Why? Because it's his nature to do those things. We're getting to that. We're getting to that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. I know this is fundamental, but I think some of you seasoned people are still getting something out of this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You know, you study that in the original language, and, and it literally means a new creation without precedent that never before existed. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all those new things, now all things are of God. Amen. You've been changed on the inside and everything in your spirit is made of God stuff. That's why that man that I heard that night was so much like God. I thought, this is an amazing person. How come I never have met him before, you know? 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is another mind blower. Now, this is in the King James because I just think they say it the best. This is talking about Jesus for he, God, this is talking about God, for he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did you know you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? That's why that guy appeared to me to be so amazing because he was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I got a picture of what that looked like, a verbal picture. Amen. It is not cocky to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of your identity in Christ. Keep in mind, however, 
I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what he did and not because of anything I did other than accepting the free gift of God that he gave me, the gift of salvation. Ephesians 4.24, you know, we were talking about the nature, how that your nature has changed. Ephesians 4.24, also in the authorized King James Version, it says, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. So it's important to make this point before we go any further. In his finished work, Jesus purchased for us more than just forgiveness of sin. He paved the way for us to become a new creation with a brand new nature. Ephesians 2, 3. Paul is talking to the Ephesians, talking about what a bunch of heathens they used to be. Verse 3 says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Listen, we've all got a past, amen? Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You got born again, your nature changed. You might not always follow the nature that's on the inside, but there's a new nature on the inside of you. Before we got born again, we were by nature the children of wrath, the children of the devil. Only two kind of people on the earth, folks. Children of God and children of the devil. That's it. But now we have a new nature that's just like God's. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be a new creation in Him. It means you have been made perfect on the inside, that is, in your spirit man. To get into heaven, you got to be perfect. Jesus said, be ye perfect as I am perfect. You know, there was a black gospel group that came to Minden, Louisiana, when we were going to church there years ago, and uh, they sang this song, you got to make a hundred. And it was an awesome song. It was pointing out this theological fact that James says, if you, if you fulfill all the law and omit in one point, you're guilty of all. In other words, you got to make a hundred. You can't make a 99 and get into heaven. You got to make a hundred. And the only way you can make a hundred is for Jesus to take the test for you, make a hundred, and then give you the test. This is now your test. That's the only way you can do it. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 show us this in Scripture. It also validates what I talked about earlier with the heavenly Jerusalem. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, listen to this, to the spirits of just men and women made perfect. There are people in heaven there because they were made perfect, not because they achieved perfectness, but it was granted unto them by faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
You can't just be perfect. You cannot be perfect enough because the standard is Jesus. You have to be made perfect. And the way you're made perfect is by accepting the free gift of salvation bought and paid for by Jesus in His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Amen. And if you haven't gotten it yet, this Scripture makes it clear that the part of you that gets changed when you get born again is your spirit man. And once that happens, it's imperative for all believers to begin the journey towards understanding who you are in Christ. Amen. It's a never-ending journey. Even many so-called seasoned believers don't really understand who they are in Christ. That's why they're all mixed up. And if you don't understand who you are in Christ, that you're made up of spirit, soul, and body, you won't understand some basic truths of the Bible, basic truths that are directly applicable to how you live your life on a day-to-day basis. Amen. As I said before, you won't understand foundational doctrines like what it means to be born again or spirit-filled if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body. All right, so let me wrap it up by saying this. Although part of you, your spirit man, is amazing, trust me. Although part of you, your spirit man, has been made righteous, holy, and perfect like God. But it's only the beginning. Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, they need to be renewed and your body needs to be trained and disciplined so that the man on the inside, your spirit man, dominates every part of your three-part being. So next week, we'll talk some more about the man on the inside, more about who you are in Christ, and then we'll make the transition from who you are in Christ to where you are in Christ. Because where you are in Christ is because of who you are in Christ. Amen? And as we develop this series further, we're eventually going to flow into walking in your authority as a believer. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's message, Identity and Authority. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.